time. Isaiah 58, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Isaiah chapter number 58 in our Bibles. Before we read the passage, I just want to add that we'll be beginning our discipleship uh, training on September the 6th. If you've not yet been through that, I don't care if you've been here for 30, 40 years, or if you've been here for 30 minutes, we want you to be a part of our discipleship program, and we want you to go through it. We want everybody, I've been through it, all right? I've graduated, I've gotten the certificates, and, and I'm a Bible college graduate. So we want everybody here, everybody here, to go through it, and we want you to sign up for it and uh, be a part of it. And I would say this, you're not really, you've not really completed the process that White Oak Baptist Church has laid out until you've gone through that. So uh, please, if you haven't signed up at the end of the service, go put your name on the sign-up sheet, and uh, you can do level one beginning September 6th. You're already at church, so you might as well uh, do it and uh, grow from it. All right, let's look at Isaiah chapter number 58, and we're going to look at the first four verses by way of opening, and then we're going to try to get through the whole chapter tonight. The Bible says, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression in the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinances of their God. They ask me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast ye find pleasure, and exact all your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate, and to smite with a fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. We're going to look tonight at this topic, this title, The Sin of Hypocrisy. The Sin of Hypocrisy. The Israelites are outwardly doing, in this passage, they're outwardly doing all of the things that they're supposed to do in religiosity, but, uh, but God is nowhere near them. God is distancing Himself from them because while they're outwardly doing all of the things they're to be doing, inwardly their heart is far from God. Inwardly, they're away from God. They have the form of godliness, but they are denying the power thereof. They're looking the part outwardly, but inwardly, they're full of excess and dead men's bones. Let's pray together tonight. Lord, help us as we look at this passage in great detail. And Lord, we consider the sin of these people some uh, uh, 27, 2800 years ago. And then, Lord, we look at ourselves today here all these years later, all these generations removed, all these culturals, cultures removed, but yet, Lord, we still see the same struggles the Israelites had we can struggle with today. Lord, this passage is very applicable to all of us. And so, Lord, help us to see in your word tonight um, uh, the truth that you have for us. Lord God, work on us from the inside. Help us to be honest with ourselves. Help us not to live in self-deception or be clothed in self-righteousness, but, Lord, rather to put on the cloak of humility and honesty. And so, Lord God, help me as I speak tonight to speak, uh, Lord, uh, to each one. But, Holy Spirit of God, take the truth I convey and convict and lead us, Lord, into the freedom and sanctity of truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
Well, we'll, un- we'll, we'll wrap, uh, unwrap the box of hypocrisy as we get into the passage this, uh, this evening. But let's begin by looking back at verse number 1. Verse number 1 will be what, where we turn our attention for the introduction of our Bible study tonight. Look there, it says, uh, uh, this is the Lord speaking to Isaiah, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgressions, and the house of Jacob their sins. Here God is telling the prophet Isaiah, I want you to stand up and I want you to preach. I don't want you to talk. I don't want you to act like a sissy. I want you to preach. I want you to use the lungs that you have and I want you to rear back and I want you to let it fly. Now, uh, some preachers, some, some speakers or ministers or pastors, their preaching would be more described like a flute. They get up and they... They just kind of talk you through the Bible, and they they just kind of teach you in a soft uh, a tone. And and then the other pastors are more like a trumpet. They get up and maybe they they punch the pulpit a little bit, and they let it fly a little bit. They want to sound their voice like a trumpet. You say, well, pastor, is soft preaching better than loud preaching, or is Loud preaching better than soft preaching. And I would say this, preaching the truth is what's important. The style isn't as important. Now, what I found is that a lot of people who preach loud preach angry. And a lot of people who preach soft, they avoid hard truths. And so what I seek to be is I seek to be in the middle. I I want to be animated and I want to preach with passion and I want uh, there to be some intensity about my voice at times, but I don't want to be angry when I preach and I definitely don't want to stand up here and and preach like I don't have a spine and be a a jellyfish. And so uh, we want to preach the truth. Uh, Turn in your Bibles with me, if you would, over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter number one with me. And we're going to see that God works through preaching. God works through preaching. We have a church culture today where uh, preaching is becoming less and less popular. And the push on pastors is to preach shorter and extend the music service and keep the services to an hour or less and and maybe speak for 20 minutes and and have 40 minutes of singing and 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 really put the emphasis on praising God in worship and put little emphasis on preaching, but uh, the Bible teaches very clearly that the pastor's job is not just to organize a service of of singing it's to organize a service where the Word of God is heralded forth and is preached. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and look at verse number 20. Paul writes to the church of Corinth, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For uh, after that the wisdom of God and the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, is the Bible here saying that... Preaching is foolishness. That is not what it's saying. What it is saying is that preaching is viewed or uh, many people have the perspective or opinion that preaching is just utter foolishness and uh, they don't want to have the time for it. They don't want to listen to it. To them, they put their fingers in it and they mock it. They consider that the preaching of the Word is foolishness. Look at verse 22. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified under the Jews a stumbling block. Under the Greeks 
foolishness. Uh, what's that mean? That means as we preach Christ crucified, the Jews consider Christ to be nothing more than a stumbling block. And by the way, for the Israelites alive today, the Jewish people alive today, that is still true. They, they see Jesus as a stumbling block. And the Greeks, they see it as foolishness. They have their Greek mythology and they have their philosophy and they have their education. And so when we stand up and we preach Christ, they mock it, they belittle it. Look at 23, but, uh, but we, or rather verse 24, but unto them which are called, both Jew and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Again, God told the prophet Isaiah with his people who were living in hypocrisy, he said, cry aloud and spare not. Hey, don't foo-foo them. Don't tickle their ears. Don't go along and brag on them for their religiosity. Rather, address the heart of the issue and go right at it. Declare their transgressions. Uh, speak up about their sins and uh, let it be known that their heart is far from me. Look at Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. Again, Paul teaching Timothy how to pastor, and we call First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus the pastoral epistles. They are the letters to pastors that teach people like me how to do my job. Look at Second uh, Timothy 4 and verse 2. Paul tells his preacher boy, he says, preach the word. Preach the word. Now, where's the emphasis on these three words? Is the emphasis on preach the word or is the emphasis on preach the word? And I would say the emphasis is on all three words. Uh, I am to preach the word. I'm to stand up and preach the Word. I'm not to stand up here and preach my opinion. I'm not to stand up here and preach politics. I'm not to stand up here and, and preach some worldly philosophy. I'm to stand up here and I'm to preach the Word. It is the Word of God that changes lives. Now, we get more direction here in these verses. Look with me at uh, back at verse 2. Preach the Word. Be instant. In season. Out of season. So that means that I'm to be ready to preach at the drop of a hat. I'm ready to be preached when it's popular. And I'm to be ready to preach when it's not popular. I'm to be ready to preach when the church likes the sermon. I'm to be ready to preach when the church doesn't like the sermon. There have been a handful of times on a Sunday morning that I've stood up here and preached. And I felt like my sermon went over like a lead balloon. And it wasn't because I wasn't prepared. It wasn't because I didn't pray. It wasn't because I wasn't spirit filled in my preaching. It was because the sermon hit the church right between the eyes and they didn't like it. But you know what? I'm not to preach to be popular. I'm to preach the truth whether it's popular or not. I'm to preach the Word and I'm to be instant in season and out of season. I'm to preach the whole council. Look back with me there at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves... Teachers. Now notice we've moved away from preachers and now we're getting to ourselves teachers having itching ears. And I talked about that. They're like a dog. They just want to be scratched behind the ears and talked to with sweet nothings and told how wonderful they are and sent out the door foo-fooed and, and not challenged to be better. Verse 4, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables, or told a bunch of lies. But watch thou in all things. Paul tells his preacher boy, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof 
of thy ministry. And so listen, this command to, um, uh, to tell uh, Isaiah, God to tell Isaiah that he's to cry aloud and spare not and, and, and lift up his voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgressions. Some people would say, well, well, that's just an Old Testament passage. That's written to prophets. That's not written to New Testament pastors. It's written Old Testament prophets. And I would say, well, I'm told in 2 Timothy 4 by Paul to Timothy to pastors that I'm to rebuke. And I'm to reprove. You know what it means to rebuke? It means to step on toes. It means to preach against sin. It means to get personal about wrongdoing. Well, the pastor's just picking on me. He knows I have a struggle with that. And and he aimed that right at me. I, I was telling someone the other day, and again, I'm not complaining. I'm just helping you to see this from this side of the pulpit. Uh, that when I stand up here and preach, do you know how many countries are represented in this church? And did you know that from each country, that person has a different cultural background? And different things offend different people from different countries. And so here I stand with the world sitting in the pews on a Sunday morning, and and I, I want to be careful not to offend someone culturally. But then I have people here who come from different backgrounds and have experienced different traumas. And, and I want to be careful not to offend or embarrass someone based on uh, their own background and their trauma. And then I have to stand up here and preach and people come from different racial backgrounds and different uh, wealth backgrounds. And uh, people come from, from different religious backgrounds. And uh, one time I uh, made uh, light of, of the Catholic Church on a Sunday morning and... Um, uh, someone was watching in through the live stream, and they took great offense to my. And again, it wasn't mean spirited. It was a it was a light hearted poke at the Catholic Church. Well, uh, that person managed to find my cell phone number. I won't say how. I know how. I won't say how. But managed to find my cell phone number. I'm driving to work on Monday morning, and uh, my phone rings. It's an unknown number. I pick it up, and I had to hold the phone out here. Because this person who I've never met was very worked up over what I had said in offense to the Catholic Church. So here I stand up here preaching, and I have about 35 different ways that I could offend somebody. And then you sit there and go, he's picking on me. I promise I'm not picking on anybody. Sometimes I'm preaching truth, and you know what I've learned? I've learned that if you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that gets hit yelps the loudest. And so if you're yelping, maybe it's because what I said is true. Maybe the Holy Spirit is convicting you. How many of you have ever walked out of here and felt either upset or convicted over something that was preached from this pulpit? You know what? That means you're coming to a good church. Because if you go to church and you never are ever challenged to be better, well, then you have a teacher who's itching your ears, just simply scratching your itching Ears. And so we see here the importance of preaching. And by the way, preaching on sin and pushing you to do right is, is indeed the disinfectant that keeps us from hypocrisy. Do you know which churches have the most hypocrites? Churches where truth is not preached. Because people go there and they want to feel like they're righteous while inwardly they're wicked. And they run from churches like this one and they sit on pews where they can hold up unholy hands and worship the Lord on Sunday and walk out with their unholy hands and not feel guilty over their sin. That, my friend, is hurting the cause of Christ. God told Isaiah, He said, I have a people 
in Israel, here in this passage, this is an Israeli passage, I have a people who are wicked, yet they are steeped in religious practice. They look good outwardly, but they're filled with sin inwardly. Let's jump into the outline tonight. Number one, notice the problem with hypocrites. The problem with hypocrites. Let's, let's look at verse 2 and read down through verse 7. And here you see Isaiah addressing the people's problem uh, uh, in the first person as though God is speaking. Look here. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinances of their God. And they ask of me the ordinances of justice. They, they take delight in approaching to God. And again, they're acting as though they've done nothing wrong and they have an expectation to get something from God as though that they are righteous even though they're not. Verse 3, Wherefore have we fasted, say they? And thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul? And thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast, uh, the Lord responds, uh, uh, ye find pleasure and exact all your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate and to smite with a fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. It, 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 is it such a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and spread sackcloth and ash under him? Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loosen the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens and to let uh, the uh, the Pressed, go free, and take ye, um, uh, uh, and that ye rather break every yoke. Verse seven: Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out of thy house, when thou seest uh, uh, the naked, that thou uh, cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? Uh, letter A. Notice their for, their formalism. Their formalism. The problem with hypocrisies. Um, hypocrites, rather, we see their formalism. Back in verse 2, we see their religious behavior, their formalistic religious behavior. Back in verse 2, notice it says that there, it says, yet they seek me daily. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like someone who reads their Bible. Delight to know my ways. That sounds like somebody who studies the Bible. A nation that did righteousness and forsook not... The ordinance of their God. They ask me of the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Now, if I read that verse about any one of us, you'd say, well, man, that person's quite religious. If I were to say, you know, about, let me p just pick somebody out of the crowd. Your brother Manny back here, just picking someone at random. If I were to say to you in, in private conversation, I'd say, you know, Manny, he, he seeks God daily and he delights to know, Manny delights to know God's ways. And uh, he is a man that uh, does righteousness and forsakes not the ordinance of his God. And brother Manny, he, he asks uh, God of the ordinances of justice that he can take delight in approaching to God. You'd say, man, that is a God, Brother Manny is extremely godly. If that was said about you, uh, that would be quite the compliment. But this is not a verse of compliment. This is a verse that's pointing out that Israel is going through the outward motions of looking the part of being a godly Christian. Now, 
I've been at this thing for many, many years. I've been going to church since nine months before I was born. I've gone through every element of church life. About the only role I've not served in in the church is a deacon. I've never been a deacon, but I have been and done about everything else. I've been a bus captain, and I've worked in uh, children's programs. I've pastored in another language, for crying out loud. I've done about everything there is to do in church. I've been in about every ministry there is to serve. I took a group of senior citizens once up to the Sight and Sound Theater from uh, Maryland, up and spent time with them. I've ran teen soul winning programs and I've taught in Christian schools and I've been an athletic director for a Christian school and, and I've coached and, and, and I've, I've uh, let's see here, uh, I've, I've, uh, I've, I've done banquets. I've run banquets at churches and, and as a pastor I've, I've, I've worked on a maintenance and grounds and I have done everything about there is to do with church outside of being a deacon and here's what I'm going to tell you. Churches are filled with people who look the part outwardly, but inwardly they're filled with great sin, but it's private. It's private. You say, how do you know that? Because I know me. And I know you. I stand up here on Sundays and Wednesdays, and I look out at people who all get dressed up and they look the part, but I look into your eyes, and I know many of you, because I'm your shepherd, I know that you're not quite what you're portraying outwardly. You say, well, pastor, what do you recommend? That we come to church looking like a wreck? No, I think you should come to church looking your best part, but at the same time, I don't think we need to try to lie to people about our lifestyle. I think we can admit that we're broken, that we need God's grace to heal us. And here these people are going through the rituals. Now, again, to keep the passage Jewish, even to this day, if you look at an Orthodox Jew, you look at someone who's um, uh, uh, from the nation or of the tribe of Israel, the nation of Israel, and identifies there and is practicing Judaism, you'll see a group of people that are very, very formalistic. Everything they do is rigid. And I heard uh, one uh, such uh, practicer of Judaism say one time that we're not worried about how we feel. We're worried about doing what's right. And we'll let the feeling come behind it. Even when we don't feel like praying, we still pray three times a day. And even when we don't feel like going to synagogue on Sabbath, we still go. And, and, and we still go through the rituals. Even when we don't feel like eating kosher, we do it anyway and, and and we're not we're not a relation a religion built on feeling we're a relation built on practice and rigidity and formalism and uh, the danger with formalism is that we go through the motions but we're not right with God look with me at uh, Isaiah chapter 1 and we see how God hates religious practice devoid of a heart of worship look at Isaiah 1 look at verse number 11 we looked at this way back two and a half years ago when we began going through the book the Bible says there to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifice unto me saith the Lord I am full of the burnt offering of rams and the fat of, of, uh, of, of fed beasts. And I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of goats. And, and when I read this the first time, I scratched my head and I said, you don't want burnt offerings and you don't want the blood of bullocks, lambs, and goats. How could this be? You commanded the Israelites to do this way back with Moses and you even taught Adam and Eve this in the garden and, and, and then had Abel do it and accepted his sacrifice. How can you now say that you don't want this? We'll keep reading verse 12. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at the, your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. 
He says, incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity. Even the solemn meeting, your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you. Make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. And here he's saying, you guys are taking all of what I gave Moses and you're practicing it to a T. You have the sacrifices down. You got it down pat. Uh, you know how to come in and pray the prayers and say the words. And, and, and you know uh, all of the, 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 the holy days. And, and you come in on just the right day. And on the Sabbath, you go through your rituals. And, 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 and you're very careful to follow those. He said, but while your outward actions are correct, your heart is far from me. Now, does that problem happen in today's church? Have you ever woke up on a Sunday morning and went through the motions of getting dressed and getting in your car and parking in your parking spot and sitting in your pew, but you didn't pay one ounce of attention to the words of the song you were singing and you kind of daydream through a good chunk of the sermon outside of the stories that were forced to keep your attention and you walked out the doors of the church and not one thing changed? And it wasn't because of the sermon, it was because you didn't come with a heart prepared to worship the Lord. Hey, praise God you came to church. And I'm going to tell you, as the pastor, I'm glad when anybody shows up, no matter what their motive is. But we're really wasting our time, are we not, to go through the motions and not come with our heart prepared? Well, there's sometimes I come in on a Sunday morning and I see people on their knees at their seat praying. And they're asking, I know what they're praying. They're asking God to give them something from the service that day. The other times I come up and I catch people praying in their seat before the service starts. And I come up to shake their hand and I just let them be because their eyes are closed and their head is bowed. And they're asking God for their heart to be ready to get something from the Word that that day. And for their heart to be ready to worship God through song. Formalism. God hates when we only worship Him through formalism. Second Timothy 3, 5, uh, Paul worded it this way, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. If I were to take my arm out of this suit jacket right here, and I were to walk around uh, with that, that arm dangling there, that has the form of an arm, but it has no power to move. And many of us, we have the, 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 the we look like we're godly, but there's no movement there. There's no power there. When I put my arm into that jacket sleeve, now all of a sudden, if I lose some weight, I can get it in there easier, amen? Now all of a sudden, that arm doesn't just have the form of movement, it's moving because there's power there. And uh, Listen, many of us, we look good. We have things down outwardly, but inwardly, there's no real power there. We see their formalism. Letter B, we see their fasting. Their fasting. Look with me at verse number 4. Isaiah 58, verse 4. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate, 
and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen? He's saying, are you doing this the right way? He says, a day for a man to afflict his soul, as it, as, as, uh, rather, it, is it to bow down his head as a bulrush, and to spread sackcloth and ash under him? Wilt thou call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? Look at verse 6. Is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out of, uh, to thy house, when thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? Here they're fasting, and God says, that means nothing to me. Now, I don't know if you in here have ever fasted. We're going to look at a passage in Matthew. In fact, turn over to Matthew. Uh, hold your place in Isaiah 58, obviously. Uh, let's see, Matthew chapter 6. I would say the lion's share of Christians have either never fasted or haven't fasted in a long time. The lion's share of Christians do not have fasting as part of their regular life. And I've gone through seasons of my life where I have fasted, but by and large, as a Christian, I haven't fasted much. Um, I like to eat. I don't like to go hungry. How many of you agree with that? All right. Being hungry is not fun. I like food in my stomach. I like good food in my stomach. I know this. When I fast, I want it to be effective. I don't want to have. Fa- I don't want to fast and have God look down at me and say. Yeah, you're just wasting your time. And that's exactly what's going on here. Now, again, context, historical context, there was one feast a year that before they came to that feast, they were to take a day and fast. And because that was their culture, they would all do that. As a nation, they would fast in preparation for this holy day, this this uh, this day of celebration. Uh, but God said... Listen, in that fasting, you're wasting your time. You're doing it to make a show. You're, you're putting ash on your head. You're, you're spreading out uh, below you. You're bowing your head like a bulrush. You're making a big scene. You're making a big scene, but yet you're not really accomplishing anything. Look at verse 16 of Matthew 6. The Bible says, Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear in the men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Here he's saying, when you fast, don't do it to be seen in men. That's what hypocrites do. All right? You walk in and, you know, say you're in the middle of a, a fast, and you walk in and say, well, oh, oh, what's wrong? Oh, nothing's wrong. No, what's wrong? Oh, I'm starving. Well, well, go eat something. No, I'm not eating today. I'm not. In fact, I just spent 45 minutes in prayer. But, but I'm not. I'm not eating today. I'm not. And, and I don't have a colonoscopy tomorrow. I really don't. But, um, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm just. I'm too godly to eat right now. So I'm. 
I'm fasting. You say, oh, come on, people wouldn't do that. Well, no, they weren't that overt in the, old, in the New Testament. What they would do is they'd walk around and they'd kind of grunt, groan and grunt and, and, and they were being, uh, they were, they were making a show to tell people, I'm fasting right now. And you know what people would walk by and say, oh man, he, he is so spiritual. Wow. She is so godly. Can you believe that they fast? God says when you fast, it ought to be done for the right reasons. It ought to be done in order to accomplish something with God in heaven. You know, when we fast, what we're doing is we're denying the flesh so that we can show God, hey, I'm really serious on this topic. And when I talk to you, I mean this. And God says here in Isaiah 58, He says, okay, when you fast, it ought to cost you something. How about you take the bread that you would have eaten and you give that to the poor? How about that, uh, that person that is oppressed because of that financial structure you have over them? How about you let them go free? How about that fasting actually cost you something? And that you don't make a big scene out of it. They're fasting. These people were not fasting so that they could get hold of God. They were fasting so that they could gain the praise of men. Let her see. We see their frustration. And ultimately, hypocrites are frustrated. They're frustrated. Now, if I don't get past letter C in the outline tonight, point one letter C, then we'll settle here and, and hit this up when I get back from my missions trip here. But uh, I, this is so important that we look at this and understand this. Look back at Isaiah chapter 58, verse 3. Because I'm about to speak to all of us right here. The Bible says, Wherefore, uh, and here the Israelites are responding to God's um, a disapproval of them. Wherefore have we fasted, that say they? And thou seest not... Wherefore have we afflicted our soul? And thou takest no knowledge. Behold, in the day of your fast ye find pleasure, comes the rebuttal. And exact all your labors. And so here the Israelites are very frustrated with God. And here's why. Because they have their religious actions... They're doing and doing and doing all of the things listed in verse 2. They're doing and doing and doing and doing. But yet God looks down at them and says, Outwardly, boy, you got it all together. But inwardly, I see your wickedness and sin. And He says, I'm not going to bless your outward actions because your heart is far from Me. You're going, you're going, if I could make this in our New Testament era. Christian, you're going to church. You haven't missed a service in weeks. Christian, you're going through the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the formalism of reading three chapters a day and checking the box on your list there. You're getting on your knees and you're praying through your prayer sheet and, and you're robotically being a Christian, but your heart is filled with sin and wickedness. And here is the frustration. The frustration is that we think we're in some kind of a trade with God. If I do A, B, C for God, then I should get back X, Y, Z from God. And here I am doing A, B, C, and I put my hands up to heaven, and I don't get back X, Y, Z. And then I do A, B, C, and then I don't get back from God. And I say, God, I'm trading with you. I'm trading my religious actions, my religious behavior, and I expect this. And people do a lot of bartering with God. 
And I'm going to tell you right now, God does not want to barter with you. He does not want to trade with you. God does not want your outward actions. He wants your inward attitude. You say, well, pastor, are you saying that my coming to church isn't important? That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that if you go to church and your heart stinks, eventually you'll quit going to church. But if you love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and you deal with the sin that's deep down in your heart that nobody other than you and God, or maybe a close relative or two know about, and you'll deal with that deep down inside, then you won't be able to keep yourself away from church. You won't read your Bible to earn God's favor. You'll read your Bible because you have God's favor. You won't pray so that you can go through the motions of being pious and spiritual. No, you'll pray because you're so in love with God, you can't help but do it. And so many people, they're looking to please God with their behavior. And God says, oh, I don't want the outward. I want the inward. Yes, man sees the outward. But I see through that, I see to your heart. I just want to ask you this evening, Christian, a very piercing question. Are you a hypocrite? What are you doing in the dark when no one is watching you? What are you watching on TV or what are you doing on your phone or what kind of language do you use when other Christians are not around? What jokes do you laugh at? Uh, what depth of love do you have for God in your heart? Does it bother you when you get around sin or are you comfortable there? Someone famously said once that sinners leap into sin like a pig and they love it. Christians lap into sin and they absolutely loathe it. And I want to be a man of God that when God looks down at me and I look back up at God, I say to God, I love you. You know what I want God to look back at me and say? Son, I know you do. I know you do. I finished with this. I'm going to close my Bible, but I want you to listen to me. I'm going to wrap it up with this. I'm going to come down. And I'm just going to talk to you for a minute. I vacillate as a Christian. I have times as a Christian where I'm, I feel like I'm just really close to the Lord. Then I have times in my Christian walk where I don't feel like I'm so close to the Lord. Anybody with me tonight? One way I test how close I am to God is that when I'm in prayer, I utter these words. I love you, Lord. And when I'm away from God, in my heart, I'm away from God. There's an emptiness to those words. Because I know that I've been loving myself or sin more than the Lord. But when I'm walking with God and my heart is right with God, and I say, I love you, Lord, there's an intimacy and a tenderness and a sweetness to that statement and a bond with my God that I just can't even begin to describe or put into words. So I ask you this tonight. When you say those words, I love you, Lord, do they ring hollow? 
or do they ring true? I'm speaking to a crowd of people who got up, got dressed, and came to church on a Wednesday night. That is super rare. Look how many of us there are here. Very few churches in Stratford even have a Wednesday evening service. In fact, we may be the only one. The fact that you're here, that means that there's some devotion outwardly from you to God. And I commend you for that. But only God knows, only you and God know deep down, how true those words ring when you say, I love you, Lord. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening. We're not going to have an invitation, but I do want to give you just a moment there in your seat. If you want to bend a knee there at your pew, you can do that. Why don't you pray and maybe utter those words to the Lord and you know you know how sinful you are inside. You know the iniquity you do or don't regard. Maybe the prayer tonight is that, God, I, I really don't love you like I ought to. I love me and my sin more. I need to get that right. Why don't you take a moment where you are? Why don't you address where, where you are? Why don't you address your standing with God and the sin of hypocrisy?